Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valiuco, and welcome back to the second season of Personal Pans, conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird and wonderful things that we experience, including having ADHD. I finally got diagnosed after a couple years of having some pretty profound suspicions. And it turns out that all the things that I thought were just me being a quirky Aquarius, like doing my own thing and not respecting authority and being militantly resistant to anybody telling me what I should like or what I should think, those are all diagnosable ADHD traits, all of them. And they're probably just amplified by the fact that I'm an Aquarius. Speaking of being an Aquarius, my guest today is Barry Goddard, fellow Aquarius, astrologer, and the author of The Medicine Wheel. We had this conversation last year, recorded it during my post-COVID ultra burnout. So now it's February. He's written another book in the meantime about astrology, and hopefully I'll have him on again to talk about his second book. This conversation talks about the medicine wheel, among many, many other things, but about how the elements connect us to the universe and to who we really are. I enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. My podcast is pretty pretty open you know I'm just interested in having conversations with people but already I'm excited about this because it's so funny when you're coming from that open perspective it is that like okay just live however you want right if you want to do the rise and grind thing great uh you like I don't understand it but if it brings you joy have fun with it but because I have always been creative um I've always done my own thing um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm also on that neurodivergent spectrum, but I think differently. I act differently. I'm very keen on and clued into what I want and how I move around the world. And the, the people who aren't hate it. They just get, like you said, that judgment, that anger about um, why aren't you doing things like everybody else does them? Like, well, I'm just not built that way. And, and yeah. I think everybody should live according to how, um, what is meaningful to them yes well i think it's a perennial issue mm-hmm. that that people a lot of people they want they want to know where they stand yeah. it's like things are like this and they're not like that and i believe in this and i don't believe in that it, it's kind of a lot of people need that they'd have a psychological breakdown and so we're always having to live around the edges and not appear too threatening I mean, that's why they banned research on psychedelics for 30 years because of Timothy Leary. It's like you need to just do it skillfully. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you are again, if you don't exist outside of the the kind of major paradigm, right, the dominant paradigm, you have to learn to be sneaky. And and thankfully, my like I said, Polish immigrants, my my grandparents, like they didn't trust anything. And and my mom also very mistrustful of, of institutions and just said it's and I always think about what she said in terms of schooling. And she's like, listen, Vanessa, you just have to go through this and get a degree because that's how you get a job. She's like, you don't have to like it. Uh, you don't have to, she's like, you can pretend that you like it 
and they will respect you more yeah. because it looks like you're playing the yeah. game, but you don't have to give them your heart and your mind and your soul. And that, you know, the fact that I got taught that so early, I think has been incredibly beneficial because I can appear yeah. to care about all these systems and fly under the radar and do my own thing and not be bothered with it. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think often if we, if we've got that sort of open temperament, we, we can, we need to reach an accommodation with conventional society. Okay. Now, what a lot of people will do, you know, they're young, they're getting to the counter. They maybe haven't had the sort of encouragement you had as a kid. We're having to fight for it. And people end up putting themselves in opposition to conventional society. And I'm going, no, I'm full of, full of, paranoid conspiracy theories about how they're bigger press and it's just like no 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 they're just people being people <laughs> yes, that's exactly and, that. yeah yeah and suddenly there's 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 freedom there's relief i mean i had to consciously decide to do this in my mid-50s you know because my dad was very straight and very good at it yeah good at building a business and all of that and i was supposed to be like him and there was something wrong with me because i wasn't like him and so you know, my means of survival was to set myself up in opposition to anything conventional. That was my means of survival. I actually needed to do that. But then there was a certain point I got to where I realised I need to just let my dad be who he is. I need to let my family be who they are and stop wanting to change them. And then I became more at ease with myself once I did that. I Yes, I think that's so important, that idea of not... And again, I, I understand it from a developmental standpoint. And, and also yeah. when you are in a situation where people just don't, they don't like the way that you're behaving, they don't understand it. And it can cause a lot of psychological distress, but you like, once you can kind of accept like, okay, not everything I do has to be in opposition to something I don't like and something that doesn't fit me or because yes. I feel like I've been attacked. Yeah. So I have to be this thing. Like, I, I get it. I know a lot of people like that. I went through a phase of that on my own too, but people are people. And again, my background is in sociology. You have to have an awareness of how people are socialized and how they're raised and how so much of that is incredibly oppressive. And there aren't any alternatives given to most people for behaving in a different way, uh, acting in a different way. I mean, like we've accessed both of those things, but those are considered alternative paths and and not, it, I, again, there isn't a broader yeah. conversation in society about how to be different, how to access authenticity, um, how to live an authentic life or how to, like you said about accommodations, like how to carve out pieces of authenticity in a in a world that expects you to work and, and you, you need to pay bills in order to eat food. You know, what, what can you do to work around to maintain that, that essential part of yourself? I think most people don't even know what that essential thing is because they've never been given the space to access it. I think everyone has it, but so much of society is about like, no, don't do this. Like, well, why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It requires courage, doesn't it? it um, yes. There's a guy called Lewis well, Madrona, I think mm. you'd be good to interview him. He's a Native American guy, Cherokee. Okay. He's written a number of books. He's also a conventional doctor. Oh. Um, he's written a book called Coyote Medicine, which is basically his sort of 
early autobiography of how he ended up as both a conventional doctor and a healer because he's trained in traditional ways. And he uses story a lot. Anyway, um, it's in Maine. Um, anyway, there's something interesting he said in his book. He said that he said postmodernism is difficult for most people because it, it says there's no absolute realities. He said this is difficult difficult for most people to like it's not it's not difficult for a medicine man to live like this or a medicine woman yeah they have that open dimension that is where their power to heal comes from and he said most people in an indigenous society have a fairly simple set of beliefs about how the world came into existence mm -hmm. he said you know if you're a sort of medicine person well you know that actually we really don't know we can't know it's the great mystery but that's too much for most people. So even in indigenous societies where there probably is more openness to the people who are creative, I mean, that's why the medicine people are, are given. They're not shut out as weirdos. Even there, people still want that sort of certainty, those simple certainties. It's kind of human nature, really. But yeah, we need to work around it. And our job can be the sort of trickster. Yeah, It's like people, people live along the... It's tram lines, yeah, these set tram lines of, of, of how it is or how it ought to be. And our job is to sort of undermine those tram lines a bit. And it's something we don't necessarily set out to do it deliberately. It's like it's something that happens spontaneously. It's like, oh, God, I've done it again. I've said the wrong thing. But actually, it can almost be something coming through us. And we don't want to do it so much that they get a heart attack. But we need to do it enough so they feel for a moment they have a bit more freedom, yeah? This is the gift of the astrological sign of Leo, because I'm an astrologer as well. But Leos have the gift of being deeply themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not looking over their shoulder to see what the rules are. And that is their gift to other people, because when they're around, people suddenly stop looking over their shoulders. Suddenly they have a few moments being who, that it's okay to be who you are, you know? Yes, oh my God, yes. <laughs> You know, it, it's so funny because I, I started this podcast to just have conversations with interesting people. And mm -hmm. so much of it has turned into conversations about like trauma and authenticity and grief. And I, I think I can't, I, like, like you're saying, like, I can't help but do that all the time, right? That, that trickster energy. Yeah. Again, my rising sign is Leo. I'm also an Aquarius. Like, I cannot help but... Uh but do this, right? All right, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an Aquarius too. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what date? What date are you? Uh, February fifth. Well, I'm the twelfth. Oh, oh. Uh, all right. See, okay. <laughs> See, this, this again. We we started like right off the bat. Like, uh, came into this intense, and the same thing happened with another Aquarius. I, I interviewed a couple of months ago. Well, I'll tell you the thing about Aquarians. The thing about the Aquarians is they'll start talking to someone they've never met as though they've known them all their lives. There's something really natural and flowing with them. And it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. But what you have to do, that Aquarius and Leo are opposite signs. So there's that tension between the group and the individual to work out always. All, always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's your path. That's how you become authentic. Those are the archetypes. It's in for you personally. Yes. Well, and it's it, again, it's it's figuring out like what what are the forces that are operating within you and how do you reconcile with them? Because, again, like I 
I have no problem taking the, the, the less traveled path. I also have no problem being defiant. And, and I feel like I have conversations that most people don't talk about. And I have a willingness to engage in this because it feels transgressive, right? Most people don't talk about authenticity. They don't talk about grief. They don't talk about trauma. It, it, and, and so if I can create a space for that, to let people know like, oh, this is safe here. And maybe you can have a little bit of courage to engage in those conversations elsewhere. Like that's how you kind of open people up to what really matters to them. Because again, we don't have these conversations. It's, it's all, you know, uh, like defining yourself in opposition or I keep thinking about in your book, how you were talking about like historical reconstruction, like that, that desire to like, oh, this is how things are. This is how things used to be. We, we have an awareness of all this. It's like, no, you, you might have access to some parts of something, but the historical record is incomplete by its very nature. It, you have to be comfortable with that ambiguity. I don't think a lot of people are. No, but which of my books did you refer to just then? Oh, sure, The Medicine Wheel. The Medicine Wheel, yeah, I just thought so, yes, because we're yes. talking astrology and I've written an astrology book that's coming out in December, so. Oh, cool, all right, great. It's called Surfing the Galactic Highways. <laughs> well i love that I already fun coming up with that title yeah but you were talking about transgressive it's, it's interesting i'm in the middle of one of them at the moment on an astrology group i run on facebook oh, yeah. because there's a, quite a few astrologers who say it is unethical to predict death right you don't do it yeah. and i said well, you see i got the queen right they said the queen's the queen's it's looking you know the concerns for her health i looked it up Jupiter is associated with death. The moon was going, which is the main activator of the chart in medieval astrology. Uh, Jupiter, you see, is associated with death because he's the king of the gods. He takes you up to his realm. He reaches down and takes you up. I could see the moon was going to cross her, her Jupiter at 5:30 that afternoon. So I put it up there, and sure enough, a few hours later, she died. So I got told that was unethical. So I was predicting death, and that was unethical. And it's like, come on, darling, this is a this is a conversation. This is a possibility. I was just stating what right. was happening. You know, I wasn't acting like God. So I, I, I then put up a post saying, what is it? Actually, I think they just don't want to talk about death. It's actually, it's an avoidance and they call it unethical. And so I, I put that up. I said, people are always grateful when I talk about death, when I talk about the possibility of death of them, or people close to them, as described by the chart as a possibility they love it it's like thank god here's someone who talk about this stuff instead of pretending it doesn't happen so yeah i'm having a bit of a dig dog there at the moment <laughs> <laughs> well, so they're funny. calling me unethical and that i'm playing god i'm saying you know what sort of arrogant fantasy have you got going on here i'm just chatting to them about it as a possibility uh, that you did right and it's not I, so many people, I have so many thoughts and I get, my words are not coming out. Um, so many people have a difficult time even broaching the conversation of death, mm. and, you know, even the question of it. It's like, as if, mm. and again, I, I wrote so many notes in your book, like the, everybody has, it's a universal experience. And, and if you're, if you don't talk about it, it's not like you can somehow avoid it. And I feel like a lot of people think like, okay, if I don't have these conversations, if I don't think about it, 
it's not going to happen. It's like, no, the worst thing, it's going to sneak up on you. And then none of your affairs are going to be in order. And then your family is going to have to deal with the aftermath of not knowing what your last wishes were, not knowing what you wanted, not knowing what to do with your stuff. It's, there's this terror about death. And then, like you said, that arrogance, you just read a chart, looked at the planets, made a prediction. It's not as if talking about it spoke it into being. Like that's that's not the power you have. You're just looking at the transits. Why, why again, I, 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 get, I clearly get heated about this because people are really terrified of having, any, so many people are terrified of having any, any type of conversation around death. Yes, well, it's not like I even project it. I just talk about it as a possibility. Right. So I will say, well, how old are you? What's your health like? Yeah, I, yes. I it, you know, I say, well, that that is a possibility, and people are grateful to know. Yes. Um. Here's another thing: is that death, well, life brings us through difficult transitions quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes the way we're living, it, it just doesn't work anymore. Right. And it's often because there's something new trying to come in. There's a new paradigm trying to come in, a new new type of consciousness, and we often have several points in our lives. don't know where we're going anymore we have to let go and actually we find out the other side there's more more life but we but through that we learn to trust these transitions these unknowing unknown transitions so in that sense death is a life is a preparation for death because death life teaches us to trust what's coming next in other words so it teaches us to trust death because that's the biggest unknown of all yes Right, right, and and but and that, it's, and yeah, and death, death is an initiation into the the great mystery of everything, mm-hmm. and the love that the universe holds for us. Yes. Because I don't know if you ever had the experience of being lonely. I had this. I was walking up above this beautiful gorge about six months ago, and suddenly this loneliness took me over. It's like you know, I am living on my own, on my own, nearly all the time, and. And I, I suddenly thought, I don't have to identify with this feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't. I thought, it's just a feeling. I'm still in it. I stood to one side and suddenly it's like I felt connected to the whole universe. Yeah. So we often use relationships as a sticking plaster for actually that, our relationship with the whole universe. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, absolutely. that's the gift of loneliness is you remember that the, the, the universe loves you. And actually, if you, work shamanically like i do well you you have you have various spirit friends you some days you might know their names other days they're more blurry but they're always around they might even get a bit upset so you're sitting there feeling loading but what about us we're always here we love you we take care of you exactly (laughs) (laughs) well and and i think that's such a good point too because again people that that loneliness that expectation that other people are gonna fulfill some need for you. Um, And I I think that can be really toxic in relationships too. And it leads to all these unhealthy expectations and people get angry because their needs aren't being met. It's like, okay, you are like, if you're getting attached, like you said, to these feelings and so many people really do define themselves by their strongest feelings. And again, not to spill all my astrological information, but my moon is in Scorpio. I feel everything very deeply all the time. 
And also, like you're saying, like stepping outside of it, it's like, yes, I, again, as a bodied creature in this experience, I am having this feeling, this visceral feeling in my body. Am I this feeling? Is this my entire being? No, like learning to step outside of it. So it's not in control of you. Like if you can allow emotions to just wash over you, feel it, acknowledge it, but don't hold on to it or don't try to push it away because that's only going to make it have more control over you. then then like you said you can have those greater experiences of feeling connected to the universe connecting to different spirits connecting to all these other forces that are going on in the world around you that you can narrowly you know have blinders on about because you're so focused on a relationship um you know or a career whatever it is that's drawing focus as opposed to just sitting and being quiet and and experiencing the the greatness out there Yes, we we um uh, we we our beliefs are just what we want to believe about the world. Yeah, and they're very they're, they're people's ideas. They're rooted in feeling, and they're they're often barely even aware of it. That's why William Blake, the poet, said that a man convinced against his will retains the same opinion. Still, if someone wants to believe something, they will, and no matter facts. And this seems universal. No matter facts is going to make any difference (laughs) and so what you're talking about there is the south of the medicine wheel where we we pay particular attention to what we're feeling we know what we're we we come to know ourselves that way i mean that's what's good about having scorpio moon is that you're you're close to your feelings right um aquarians often aren't so you're an unusual aquarian like that usually we're 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 spouting all these great beliefs about how how the world should be uh, hypocrites and Scorpio is great at pointing out the hypocrisy of Aquarians. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so 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 um, yeah, just uh, I, I'll just sort of bag in the medicine wheel occasionally because um, yeah. uh, it begins in the east. It's shall I talk a bit about the medicine yeah, wheel? Yeah, please, please. Is that sufficiently what I'm here for? I technically yeah? yes. Or we could, we could just. Oh, I, I mean, I don't mind. I'm happy to roll with this conversation. Here we go. Here we go. I'm just rolling with this conversation wherever it goes, because that's how I like to live. Yeah. I like to trust whatever's happening. And I also like to trust whatever isn't happening. If I think something should be happening and it's not, I trust that also. And that way you're open to the great spirit. You're open to the universe and it can do so much more through you because you're not getting in the way with what you want and don't want. Not too much at any rate. I, you have at least some of the time i mean you you have articulated the the, the essentially the the guiding force of this podcast and what it's been for the past year it's like i'm going to have a conversation i'm going to talk to people and what they tell me that's what they like people tell you what they want to talk about right and what they're excited about i'm more interested in talking about what people are very excited about what they're passionate about what they're interested in like of course i want to talk about your book and also what else, you know, like, let's, let's be open to whatever comes up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I will, I will try and force in the medicine wheel at this point, <laughs> because one way I'm looking at it, it's, it's, it's a way of understanding ourselves through the four elements of fire, earth, air, and water. They are an ancient way of relating to the world that is both European and North American. Um, it's something we all under, kind of understand anyway. Um, 
And fire, earth, air and water are sun, soil, rain and wind. They're very immediate to our experience. So it's saying you can understand yourself through your experience. Now, the whole tendency of science is to say you cannot understand. You understand mathematics and you've got a PhD. Yeah. So I'm not trying to invalidate scientific understanding. It is a particular way of understanding the world, which is astonishing. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it can also have this tendency to disempower our experience to say the way you experience the world is not enough. Yeah. You yes. to, to really know how the world is, you need to understand complex equations and to be able to use equations about things you can now see called quarks oh. and electrons and all of that and strings, you know. Right. And yeah. and it's like, okay, fair dues, but what is so refreshing, deeply refreshing for me about the medicine wheel is it gives me back my own ability to comprehend and understand myself and not feel there is something lacking in that understanding. And it's very visceral, very experiential, and it makes me part of the universe. You see, I've got this thing I call the great forgetting, which has been going on for about 3,000 years. It began with the ancient Greeks, the, the, the beginnings of rationality, where we start to separate ourselves from the national, the national world, the natural world. We, we no longer belong to it. We may acknowledge it intellectually, but we don't feel ourselves to be part of it. We're a part and even above it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're at the top of the evolutionary tree and even slightly beyond that. We got rid of God and put ourselves at the top of the evolutionary tree instead. That's all we've done. Mm-hmm. Same kind of hubris. At least when you've got God, there's someone above you. Yeah. I prefer that system, even though I don't particularly believe in God, because at least also the Christian creation magical origin to the universe so i'm going to go with that one even though i don't quite believe it it's got magic in it and my psyche can't live without magic in the universe i mean what is the big bang if not a magical creation story everything suddenly coming mm-hmm. from nothing if that's not a miracle voice terence mckenna pointed that one out yeah. i'm gonna to have to just slow down slightly here i could the last interview i did i've done one interview before and I listened to myself. Now, they weren't good at reining me in. You're much better at butting in and saying your bit, which means I don't get carried away. But I listened to it. I was bloody relentless. And they didn't stand a chance. So... <laughs> I think it's that Aquarius thing. So, Aquarian, so thank like, you for... It is. I, 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 I get so enthusiastic about, about, about things. So coming back, but I want to come back. I want to... I want to pull back to the essence of this book and make sure that comes through. Yeah. Fire, earth, air, and water, they're ways of relating to ourselves and to the universe and realizing that we're intimately part of the earth. Fire is that quality of inspiration, of new life that is always coming in, that does it, yeah, that keeps us enthusiastic to possibility. That's fire. Water, which comes next, the fire feeds into the water and reveals what needs healing in us. What is out of balance? It's water is emotion. In a way, it's the child in mm-hmm. us. The child who knows how to trust. Yeah. And we forget how to trust. And we have to relearn to trust, but in a deeper, less naive sort of way. But the south, in a way, they're also the directions. The south, which is water, that's where we're at the cold face of ourselves. That's where we're with what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. That's why the animal for this direction, you see, it's very visceral very immediate is the mouse because the mouse 
has the small vision, sees the particular. So if we close, stay close to our feelings to the extent that we're not over-identified with them, then the transformation can happen. We don't do transformation. This is important. We have this big judgment about what good good in us and what is bad in us. We need to go beyond good and evil, as Nietzsche said. Stop judging. As as Gandalf said in Lord of the Rings about Bil uh, not Bilbo, Gollum. Yeah, when Frodo's going, oh, I wish he died. Yeah, and 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 Gandalf's going, I feel he's still got a part to play. Yeah, and of course he does. The ring doesn't get destroyed without Gollum. Exactly. So what we judge as bad, because it's uncomfortable, because it doesn't fit in right, that what we're told is good and bad, we push it away. We try to change it. Mm -hmm. This, well, you could call it a tantric path, because this is how tantric Buddhism views it as well. Making friends with your demons. Yeah, sitting there. Okay, most of the day, we're going to try and get away from them. We'll medicate ourselves we'll play a stupid game on a computer we'll do any awful thing to do it changes everything this is the rest of the transformation the rest of life will take care of itself almost if we can just bring ourselves just to be with ourselves just for a few minutes a day that's all you need to do but it is so difficult it is so difficult um and it's easier than we think when you get there it's like why was i making such a fuss <laughs> <laughs> and what you're doing is you're making friends. Now, here we go. Just interrupt me when I'm going on too. This is great. <laughs> yeah. But a way the Native Americans view this is that um, if something uh, tormenting is part of your experience, it is not essentially part of you. It is a spirit in the universe that has come to visit you. Mm -hmm. So you need to get to know that spirit. Yeah, introduce yourself. Get in to introduce you. Do a bit of ceremony. There's this guy called Eduardo Duran. He's written a book called Healing the Soul Wound. He's a, a Jungian therapist who's also Native American and works with um, Native Americans. I came to him through Louis Melmadrona. Mm -hmm. And this is what he does is he waves a bit of smudge and ceremony and he, he says, even though they've forgotten all their ceremony, bring in a bit of ceremony of whatever sorts it changes the paradigm suddenly the sacred is there suddenly a kind of metaphysical dimension is there you're not just problems anymore mm -hmm. and then he gets it's usually the spirit of alcoholism has come to visit them yeah. and he says he gets to talk to the spirit of alcoholism and he said it immediately changes their relationship with the bottle wow. so yeah. i really like working because really we don't know where these things come from. We try to blame everything on our childhood. And through blaming everything on our childhood, we're effectively blaming everything on our parents. And really, you know, you look at your brothers and sisters, they can turn out very different to you. You've responded in that way to your childhood conditionings. They've responded in this way. As Wordsworth, the poet says, we come in trailing clouds of glory. Who knows where we've come from? It's a great mystery. Yeah, all we know is that we're troubled in this sort of way. And that if we stay with it, it will transform and it is also the crack where the light gets in. As Leonard Cohen didn't say, he took it off someone else. Fair dues. Um, <laughs> it's easy yeah. to give it to Leonard Cohen. Um, so, yeah, I read a really interesting book called The Nurture Something or Other by Judith Rich Harris. 
the nurture paradigm or something and she's pointing out that um we're we're not the products of our parents we're the products of so many other things you know um mm -hmm. a dna plays a much bigger part than we think i think just where we've come from that mystery plays a big part and it frees you you don't have to spend your time burrowing into your child remember things you'll never try and remember in order to understand yourself and here we goes you can always create a story about your mum was like this so i'm like that it can be a really good story it can be really convincing but is it true who knows who knows I, I, well i love that so so i've mentioned this on the podcast before one of my closest friends is a therapist and she works with narrative therapy and specifically working with clients who have stories about their childhoods, their experiences, and, and why they are the way they are. And so much of her work is uncovering all of these stories that we tell ourselves and, and, and saying, is this a real story about you? Is this a story somebody told you? Is this a story that you created to protect yourself during a difficult time? Is this story still useful to you now? Can you write a different story for yourself that is actually useful for you now? The storytelling is incredibly powerful. The non-rational is incredibly powerful. You know, you're talking about that, like, great forgetting that th this is something that I, um, I again, I, because I, I'm so like militantly uh, uh, like, this could be true, but we can't prove anything. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's it's funny, because like I said, I used to work in sociology. And I used to work as a research assistant and my job was like collating all the data and doing all the regression analyses to see what everything meant. And even still, I knew like, okay, so we've given all these people this survey and they responded in a certain way. We don't know if that's true. We, we don't know if this is an accurate assessment. You know, this measure only mm -hmm. measures these particular questions. There could be something else that it's determining the answers that we haven't even thought of. And, you know, like you said, so many people get, get bogged down in the rational, the measurable, the, um, you know, what, what, what do the numbers say? This is true. It's like, no, there's also this like great emotional depth and awareness. And like you said, experiences with spirits and, and other forces in the universe that is equally real. We just can't measure it. So it gets dismissed as, as a, a fanciful thing that, that, that weirdos are interested in. Like, no, we're tapped into something else. Like, again, just because you can't, uh, you know, figure out an equation for it doesn't make it false. Yeah, and, and so let's just treat the stories as stories. This is how Lewis Malrona works. And you, if someone's got cancer, right? It's like, well, tell me the story of your cancer, yeah? What comes to you as a story about it? So you're not dealing with literal truth anymore. You're dealing, if you like, with spirit truth, with imaginative truth it comes from your body. It is telling you important truths. Yeah. That's what matters is that you 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 have a handle, not a handle, but something on important truths about, your, uh, about yourself through story. Mm -hmm. And those, they will keep changing. Each time you tell the story, it will change as you change. And that is how you heal, not by trying to pin down the past right I, yes there there is so much again i i always like i don't think that things are necessarily a lesson but i think if you can find a lesson in something 
you're going to be better off and you're going to handle whatever situation is better. You know, again, you're talking about illness, like you don't have to say like, oh, this happened to me so I can learn something. But if you're like, okay, what can I pull from this? Right. You know, you talked about chronic fatigue syndrome. Are you pushing yourself too far? And has your body told you to stop because your brain won't let you stop? Listen to that. What, what is the lesson there? What is the wisdom there? What can you learn from that? So it didn't just happen for nothing. Like I, I think so many people, I, I, I try to find a lesson in things because otherwise it just things are just happening in a vacuum for no reason. Like you can put a reason on there and then you can learn something from it and grow from it and move forward. Um, if, if everything is just, you know, like you said, quarks in a vacuum, I don't know, that doesn't seem as, as interesting or as magical or as transformative or, as, you know, shamanic as, as I think really like, okay, what is the emotional lesson I can learn here? What is the, the wisdom, again, the wisdom of the body that I can learn here through this? Yeah. Or, or what is it I need to listen to that I maybe can't put into words that I need to listen to? That was how I stopped experiencing things fatigue. There was something in me that's going, you need to start listening to this. The time has come and we're not going to let you treat yourself like that anymore. And I think a lot of these sort of hard diagnosed illnesses, which you get a lot of these days, you get your chronic fatigue, you get your ME, you get your irritable bowel syndrome, you get your rheumatoid arthritis. You you get all these, they're real. That's the thing. But, But where they come from, you know, it's very hard to say what is physically wrong with the body and what's the cause of it and find a drug that will cure it it's not as simple as that because i think there's a there's a soul element and in the past there was always a soul element we didn't have this split between mind and body that we have nowadays right right well and that too again i have so many friends with chronic illnesses and uh one of the things that is supported in research literature is that people who have chronic fatigue syndrome typically have um higher instances of child abuse and, and of course that's gonna come out in the body. Of course it is. If you experience high levels of trauma, if you are completely unable to express your frustration or your anger about any of that, it's gonna be in the body. Again, there are actual real physical illnesses that people have to deal with, but, but to act as if there isn't some sort of, like you said, spiritual component to it. Again, you mentioned cancer and, and you also mentioned psychedelics earlier. And the only antidepressants or the only substances that work in an antidepressant way for people with terminal cancer are psilocybin. Like, because once you get connected to uh, this, the greater reality again, okay, so this body is failing. Okay, I can come to terms with that. Thankfully, we're seeing people kind of reconnecting with these things that, yeah, I get so frustrated looking at people saying like, well, no, this is just a, Again, this is just a physical body and we're going to throw as many medications about it, like get it back in working order, as opposed to looking back and saying like, okay, is this person's diet okay? Are they uh, taking care of themselves? Are they full of stress because of like they can't regulate their emotions? Let's look at all of those things too. And then we can actually have a holistic model of care as opposed to this transactional, I'll throw pills at you until you feel somewhat better. Oh, but there are side effects too that you're also going to have to get medicated for. It's an unending cycle. Yeah. 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 I mean, you mentioned like trauma. Mm -hmm. Childhood trauma can be behind these um, um, soul ailments, as I call them. 
Um, and my experience was, was, yes, there was stuff from childhood, but there was also a vocational sense, a spirit calling within it as well. And it's like that, that, that pull from that which was traumatized in me also pulled me into that vocational sense yeah mm -hmm. so they are also a spirit calling and yeah. and i sometimes one story i look at it with myself is like you know i felt i've had really difficult things in myself to work against in my life mm -hmm. but that it's like i wouldn't be what i am today without that it's really given me something it's really given me the gold having something it wouldn't have been obvious to people outside of me necessarily that I was struggling with something, but I always felt up against it and yeah. almost like it was too much or like no one else had something that was this difficult, but of course they do. Um, or, you know, my confidence was completely shot. Well, that's true of so many people when it comes to what is essential about them, when it comes to what is their gift, it's like, yeah, they're perfectly confident when they have to do a regular job, but, but that which is in their soul, yeah. That which is in their, 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 their gift. I had someone come to me once for an astrology reading. She was about to do an art degree. Now she's in her mid thirties. She was already an accomplished artist. She was making stuff. Didn't feel she was good enough to be doing this art course somewhere. And of course she did the degree. She sailed to the first year, yeah. but there's almost like an initiatory fire. So many of us, of, of us have to go through when it comes to what, really matters to us a feeling no good at it and that everyone else is much better and that thing of not comparing ourselves that thing of just keeping doing it you know in a way in a way bill gates is right when he says self-esteem is something you need to earn you become good at what you do that's how you get self-esteem it's not a magical quality that the universe owes you <laughs> right. Oh, right exactly exactly and and that's the thing too i feel like so many of the most talented people i know has still have imposter syndrome even after like by all measures by of other people they've earned it they're still just like no I, they, they can see all the flaws in a thing and again as a creative person too i understand that but when i finish something that i'm really proud of i'm just like i did this this I did this this came out of me like I made this thing happen yeah. and but again it came from like just working at it for years so now I feel like you said that confidence in creating something and even if something isn't perfect I don't care because I did it I sat down I finished it it's out in the world the yes. idea was given form that's how it's perfect because it's finished and other people can see it and then I can work on other things but you know for me that took time to get so to so, so we're on the west of the medicine wheel now. We've done on the east, which is like, like that inspiration which keeps coming through. We've we moved round to the south, the water, that place where you're close to yourself and your feelings. And the, I still, I mean, I still play. I have Tigger. I read Winnie the Pooh occasionally. I have a little furry thing of Tigger. You know, it's good to be the child. Yeah, silly. Yeah. It's yes. so important in this serious one now. You probably haven't reached your second Saturn return yet. You're a long way off it. But when you're 58, 59, you have your second Saturn return. And that's the point at which I say you don't have to pretend to be a responsible adult anymore. You've done that. You've proved that. Yeah. And you can play. And that, in a way, leaves more room for the spirit. You can do your most important stuff because you're not trying to achieve anything anymore. So this is why we're on the West, which is Earth, which is about incarnation. 
yeah making it real you have an artistic gift where you actually need to make something we're here to show up we're here to incarnate we're not here to to be good and go to heaven afterwards yeah this, this world is is where it is yeah so we're here to be present and to show up and that's the same with being close to our feelings that's part of also showing up being present with who we are and that's where that fire of initiation happens you know where we we, we don't feel we're any good at what we're called to do, but but we do it anyway. And we just keep doing it. We have no choice but to keep doing it. Life is too painful if we don't. We're betraying ourselves if we don't. Yeah. So that's what we're here to be true to. We're, we're here to be true to that thing in ourselves, which is so imponderable. Mm-hmm. Well, and it I- changes every few years. You can't have a five-year plan when you're living according to that spirit. Or I- and... <laughs> exactly and if we're true to that then we feel that our life is fundamentally working even though there'll always be difficulties we feel we're fundamentally in the right place yes and if we're not being true to that however well everything else might be going we don't feel our life is fundamentally right but it can require a lot of courage to be true to that because it may not be what society expects of us you know society bless it just wants us to be conforming economically productive members yeah that is a survival issue for society is you know economic welfare survival um that's what it wants of us it can be a threat if there's too many people doing something different so we have to be able to just quietly ignore what other people think this is one of the um teachings you know is uh you know you, you can't live um about what you you imagine other people think about you yeah we have to learn to just ignore that and that that and there's nothing in a way it's natural to i mean we don't want to go to the other extreme because we live in such an atomized society we've forgotten how to be part of things mm-hmm. we've forgotten how to conform possible to do both there's that word subornos that you get in the russian orthodox church which is the experience when you're singing a hymn or whatever you're in the congregation there's a a sense of a coming together with everyone else there Mm -hmm. but that doesn't deny your individuality it heightens it now we're afraid of crowds are you know because of hitler and all the rest of it and because of football crowds do um and what political mobs can do but ceremony this is like in sweat lodges or pipe ceremonies or wherever this beautiful coming together that heightens your sense of your own connection with spirit rather than merging it into something unconscious right this is also the west ceremony um i'm wandering around here bring me back yeah <laughs> well just this idea because i i think about this a lot again as a for as a sociology major um, and, and my, you know, my grandparents escaped World War II. Well, excuse me, they were in Poland during World War II. They left afterwards, but they were teenagers at the time. And so that idea of, of groups of people, and again, people who are subordinated, like, like who are like their, their needs are subordinated to this ideal, right? That is imagined that isn't real. It's very different when you are a part of a community when uh, of people who all believe similar things but more importantly they all care about each other right like when you are in a real community 
you're making sure everybody else is taken care of because that helps your survival. What we have now, and again, especially in the US, this incredibly atomized, this rugged individualism, um, but then again, people who are willing to subordinate all of their interests in order to, to further these, these alienated political interests that, you know, again, aren't, aren't authentic to who they are and, and to, to authentic to spirit. I, I, again, I think it's very interesting that you keep talking about spirit because I've been on this kind of journey of like evolutionary thought in terms of, you know, for a long time, I used to think everything was just nurture and that. Um, you know, how you were raised determined who you were, but so much of who I am was there at the very beginning and hasn't changed. Like yeah. that, that, that yeah. like you said, that trickster thing, there's a defiance to me that I, I can't stop. Like, I just can't. And um, it, it just always comes out and it comes out in everything that I do. When you see those, that, those kind of like leitmotifs, right? It's like, oh, this is just my resonance of who I am, how it expresses itself is again, dependent on society and everything. But there is, there is very much a core of me that has always been there. And, you know, again, when you see that with kids too, like some children are very willful, some children are very uh, thoughtful and, and, and shy. And it, it, you get the sense like, oh, you're, you just came out that way. Like there, there is a, a tenderness in you yeah, that, yeah. you know, or a willfulness yeah. in you. And, but yeah, that it, it's so difficult because I feel like so much of society is built around, again, people not being connected with who they are and people not giving, being given avenues to figure out who they are. Because like you said, you know, there's this like capitalist machine that needs to keep grinding and having those questions and being thoughtful and taking time to think and, and interrogate and question and and two, sometimes completely upend your life because sometimes you you're in the middle of something and you realize, oh, I don't ever want to do this again. Like this, even it could even be something you're very passionate about. That happened with me. I was I had a jewelry business that I had built, and I was working in that for several years, and then realized like I don't I don't want to do this anymore. That I, I don't ever want to make a piece of jewelry again. I'm done. And having to figure out like okay what's the new thing what do I build next what do I create next what do I do next what is calling me so much of society is built around um uh stasis as a virtue and like you said the spirit is dynamic wants are dynamic we're we're dynamic creatures and if we're really following what we're authentically supposed to do that that is going to change you're never the same person. The, the molecules in your body change every seven years. You have to assume that who you are is going to evolve over time or what you're doing is going to evolve over time. Some people change a lot in their lifetimes and some people change very little. And, but even then it's that's, well, that's, that's, that's what they're here to do. They're, they're, yeah. If you like, they're here just yeah. to change that amount and they're in the right place for it. So don't criticize them. Yes we might be able to see that they are and you can see them slowly shifting a bit. I can see that I used to be part of a Buddhist order mm -hmm. until I was 40. And then I left because I can't, I can't be part of someone else's system or tradition. I, I have to be able to negotiate with it. Mm -hmm. But I can see some of them, they're, they're in their seventies now. Yeah. They've wow. been all their lives and you yeah. can see them getting a bit more loose and a bit more flexible and a bit more finding who they are in relation to it. 
-hmm. And that's what they will do in this lifetime. So there's no point me sitting there going, oh, you're just followers. You're just this. It's like, no, that's how it works. Now, another thing. Um, the the are uh, the modern modern the modern notion of the self is autonomous whereas the indigenous notion is more relational mm -hmm. and that's that's a really interesting distinction and it's something i play with i mean our autonomous self it has some people get into this thing of you know indigenous good modern bad and it's not that simple um and you know we, we we do some tremendous achievements through our rugged individualism thing but it's been at a cost of community you know yeah. this is why for example you get much less abortion mm -hmm. in a traditional community on the reservation because there's much more support for the woman mm -hmm. and the father isn't five thousand miles away so he's held to account so there's much more support so they don't have to go down this whole note thing about individual rights and the rights over the body you just sidestep that you give community support and that resolves it in a different kind of way so this is how the relational self can be so beneficial when full human beings unless we feel connected to a community right. and that's difficult in big cities i mean i live in a small town where everyone says hello to each other on the street and i love that in a big yeah. city they don't right um, now there's another interesting um another sort of thing we have to work with is well, we don't have extant traditions. If we want to be on some kind of spiritual mm -hmm. pathway or whatever you call it, tradition, we don't have them. So where does that leave us when we encounter Native mm -hmm. American stuff? You know, there's plenty of people who will call us cultural appropriators. Well, mm -hmm. if we if we start running sweat lodges or whatever, and oh, people have always borrowed stuff. So let's hang on. Actually, well, only some Native Americans will go, that is cultural appropriation. Other ones won't. It's not mm -hmm. like big thing saying you are this. Um, right. So I sat with this for years because I used to have a Native American guy coming and stay with me. He's Canadian and he'd mm -hmm. run sweat lodges and tell stories and do teachings. And it was so deep. It was so deeply, um, in a way, thought through and lived through and woven into itself. Over maybe millennia, um, the sweat lodges, everything meant something with deep symbolism. Yeah. When he told stories, he, he would expound what they meant. Brilliant understanding of human psychology, just as good. Anyone who thinks indigenous thought is primitive, they need to look at that philosophy. It's much more subtle than ours. They have a much more subtle because they understand that the world is a dream and that it's subtle. You can't grasp it. Right. We treat the world as something solid and objective and um that's why they'll never understand consciousness because consciousness is not objective it is the subjective pole of mm -hmm. which matter is the objective pole it's, if you treat subconsciousness as an object to be investigated you will never understand it it is subject in a way the subjective is the most important that's all we back to what i was saying um yeah, so I had to sit with this, you know, I've had this Native American guy coming and staying with me and there's no way I could run a sweat lodge like he does. I haven't been trained in it. It would be cultural appropriation and disrespectful to pretend to be part of that tradition. That's what something you shouldn't do, I think. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, what do I do? And I thought, well, actually, what it leaves me with is freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you are part of tradition, 
you're committed to doing things in the way of that tradition. Now, that does have depth and meaning. I don't want to disrespect it, but you can't just, your spirit doesn't necessarily feel free within that to just go the way it needs to go, like an artist doing a painting. So I thought, well, we're free. I can run a sweat lodge. I'm going to make it clear I'm not running it as a representative of the Native American traditions. Mm -hmm. I'm just being inspired by what they do to run one in a way that seems appropriate to me, that speaks to me. Mm -hmm. And that means I can keep, um, be creative with it. I can move with it as my spirit wants to. Right. There's a tremendous freedom within that to be true to myself because I'm not committed to doing things in a particular way. So I think we have our own, the fact that we don't have traditions, it is a loss, but it is also a gain in terms of our own freedom to be true to that creative spirit spirit within us yes because sometimes people go you know an indigenous person walks in the room they behave as though the popes walked in yeah it's like well you know they're bowing and scraping it's like well okay be respectful but it's not like they have the goods and we don't this is the thing we put them on a pedestal and go we don't have the goods to be respectful and listen to them and it's like well yeah of course i'll listen but it's not disrespectful to disagree with them I might have my own way. Um, where was I going with this one? I, got, <laughs> I think I probably made the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that again, it like it's. We, we, yeah, yeah. This is it. This is it. This is my point. Yeah. I've, no, I've got my point. I've got it back again. Um, Great. We think the indigenous people have got the goods, and we don't. And it's like, yeah, they do have the goods. Often, mm -hmm. not always they can be they can behave just as badly as we do just as often yeah but we have also got the goods if we are true to ourselves there is something deep within us that has a lot of power and this is the way i work this is how i wrote the medicine world book i thought i'll go back to first principles and what do these elements mean to me i'll yes. make that my priority and that's how i work that's how original thought works you have to claim it back bring it back to your own experience and first principles this is how i work shamanic Shamanically as well, when I do my work, I was taught the shamanic journeying where you go and, you know, you head, you lie down and you head off with a drum and you go and meet a power animal or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that really worked for me 25 years ago. Yeah. And it changed me profoundly. But what then started to happen is I began to embody them. I began to shape mm -hmm. shift yeah, through dance. These yeah. spirits that were turning up and journeying, suddenly they were possessing my body. They took me over completely. I would speak in tongues. I'm fully present and yet fully possessed. And the healing work that I do in that yeah. state, it, it's it is really effective. And it's the way the it's the way the Siberian shamans work. They dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have a little curtain over their eyes to distract, keep this reality out a bit, and they drum and they dance. It is spirit embodiment. Something very powerful happens then. Yeah. And that is something we have an issue with. We have cultural baggage because the church banned dancing in medieval churches. Right. There's a book called Dancing in the... You probably saw that in my book mm -hmm. um, by Barbara Ehrenreich. Yes. And because when people dance, they make their own connection with spirit. That's why rave culture is so strong. It's all coming back, the spirit through the body, mm -hmm. rather than demonizing the body. Yes. Rather than seeing the body as just just, just the world, the creation of the devil. No, 
it is spirit. What are we if not the body? That is, our brains are our body. They're not something separate. And so we have a reservation around the body such that when the early explorers started going around the world and saw people dancing to drums, their response was one of disgust. It had become that demonized. So I hope it's coming back. When I, when people work, some of them love it. Some of them, they find it hard to look at. It's a bit much for them. It's too free. It's too powerful. It's going somewhere. All they can experience it as a bit transgressive, as sexual, as mm-hmm. wrong. And it's like, no, no, no. Right. Sexual, shape-shifting energy. They're all part of a, a spectrum. They're all, they all come from the same kind of place. Yes. Yeah. It's not like I'm aroused or something. It's just coming from that root chakra place that is also connected to the universe. It's yes. deep and it's free. But it is not civilized. It is outside of those countries within which people live. So I have to be careful. And I realize not everyone is going to find this straightforward. Fair enough. It's how people are. But it is wild. Now, yeah. what do we mean by wild? Jung talked about wildness. He says, if you look at a wild animal, they're not just running around randomly and noisily. A wild animal is very deliberate in every one of its movements. It has a reason for every movement it makes. Mm -hmm. So a wild person is the opposite of what we might think. We might think they are out of control and they need medicating. It's like, no, actually they're not out of control. Self-possession in a deep kind of way. Mm -hmm. That is what wildness is, which means they can live their life in a way that works and in a responsible way, in a quiet way. But there's this deep self-possession. That's what wildness really is, I think. And when we have that, we are also deeply connected to the natural world. We we experience our belonging to it. Have you ever been buried? Uh, you can see how I head off. You can see <laughs> how I head off. I like it. No, I haven't yeah. been buried. <laughs> right? um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking about connection to the natural world. I had myself buried as part of a, a yeah. the Toltecs, which are the kind oh, of yeah. Mexican shaman guys. Um, they have burial as part one of their practices. So I had myself buried in england so the weather's not waterproofs on but i dug my kind of grave and i was in it overnight like a couple of feet down with sort of covering over me yeah it was in a circle of graves actually other people and there was this guy in the middle in a with a fire playing a flute all night which was just beautiful oh my god yes you felt taken care of it was haunting and as soon as i got in that grave to spend the night it's almost like i could feel this warm nurturing energy coming off mother earth it changed my relationship with it it's like yeah she loves me she will take care of me so that's what i mean by connection to the we we also feel that it's benign she will take care of us Mm -hmm. you can do this sometimes when the weather's good just go and lie down flat spread eagled on the earth yeah and feel the earth with your heart and you will feel the heart of the earth you will feel the earth that she is your mother that you are nothing but her and you can let all your troubles go and she has all the healing you will ever need Mm -hmm. because you are nothing but her she is here to take care of you right this is another west practice the earth yes and how she loves us well and and also i love takes care of us she is our true mother you see what yes yeah what we do when we leave our parents is we find our true parent yeah 
our true father is the sun our true mother is the earth we still have parents yeah in a different way yes and they well, take care of us and it's important to feel that we are taken care of because so much of our mentality is that it's well in america it would be that pioneer spirit you know we need to carve out a life against this resistant nature or we will not survive and actually no no if you look at the natural world she provides the conditions for all forms of life to live and to thrive right and it's the same with humans if we can just allow her to instead of fighting her for right. what we need Right. It's again, a working together as opposed to trying to dominate nature, like working with yeah, nature. Yeah. I, I always think about all the plants that co-evolved with us that people have been using in herbalism for thousands of years. Like, the, like you said, we are provided for, right? Like all you have to do is pay attention and listen to the cycles. And again, not try to dominate and control and, and wrench into a different direction. Like see yourself as yeah. a part of something greater and you're, it's easier to work with it. I, very similarly to actually working in community with people. Like, yes, you are an individual and also working together with others, like everybody benefits from that. Well, in a way, this is this strength of the scientific method and scientific training is it teaches you to think like that, to think in a disinterested way. This yeah. is the north of the will. It's perspective. It's disinterest, which doesn't mean that you're not passionately engaged. It's not cold, but you're able to stand back yeah. and just evaluate right. what's there. Because as you say, if you think you know already, well, then you can't let new information in or you just go, well, that's not true because it doesn't fit your beliefs. So, yes. Right. Very few people can think in that sort of way. And even the scientists, it's like, well, they maybe can do that in a discipline, but can they do it with their values? Right, right. Or not. Well, you need to be able to do that with your values. Yes, yes. Again, kind of going back to what I was talking about with narrative therapy, but but also just in general, is this really what you believe? Is this what you believe now? Or is this something that people have taught you that you should believe and that you should think is right? And you just heard it so many times you decided it was yours. Eric Fromm's Escape from Freedom. I think about that all the time because, you know, the difference between the, I mean, the example I always remember is when he's talking about um, people talking about the weather and the difference between saying, oh, I, I heard on the radio, it's it's gonna be a cool oh, yeah. breezy day today, as opposed to saying with authority that you know what the weather is gonna be like. Unless you have a, a, a systems for measuring weather, you got that information from someone else. And I feel like that happens a lot with politics too, where people just absorb these ideas and like, and they think that they're theirs, but they are literally just repeating a talking point that I have seen on the mm -hmm. news. And, and it, that's, that dissonance is very strange to me because people aren't, they're not being um, like critical observers, essentially. They're just absorbing information then acting like it's theirs. You, you have to, I, I'm always doing an evaluation. Is this really mine? Is this, is this still mine? Is this what I want to do? Again, maybe it's that Aquarius thing, but it's because things are always shifting, at least for me. So I, I think it's important to interrogate, oh, is this something I actually still believe? Do, is this a useful thing to believe? Is there other information that I can pursue in order to educate myself? I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you you you're always aware of your sources of what you say, yeah, and you hold it provisionally. Yes, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, and actually, it, 
<laughs> and and in a way, there's a you know there's a stronger self sitting underneath that holding everything lightly, rather yes. than the narrow self which identifies with a particular set of beliefs. Yeah. Um, what I thought you were going to say about the weather was different to what you did say, because oh. there's another point you can make about the weather as well. Yeah, you yeah. can either go say it's raining. Yeah, you can go the weather's bad, or you can go it's raining. Yeah, one's a comment, the others are it's just a judgment. Yes, description. Yeah, it's a judgment. yeah, comment or a judgment. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a distinction as well. We yes. need to know when we're just describing and when we're making a judgment. Now, judgment, that's another one. I mean, I guess this belongs to the North as well, because yeah. it's a complicated area. People go, oh, you're judgmental. Well, sometimes we need to make judgments, but right. not out of, but not in a way that's condemning something. Yeah. But yeah. we need to be able to say, yeah, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need that discernment. And we Right. You need to be able to call a spade a spade and go, no, I think you were being that or the other. Yeah. But you're not trying to put them down. You're not trying to stand above them when you do it. Right. I, I, I find it so funny when people say, I don't want to be judgmental. It's like you are making judgments all the time, whether, you know, it, yes. even in terms yes. of small things like, oh, is this food I want to eat today? Like you are, th those are judgments. You're, you're evaluating and judging based off of that. But like you said, as long as you're not imposing your value system, um, you know, it, like it, you're not being cruel about it, but you can judge a person and their behavior and just state plainly, like, especially if somebody is being uh, abusive, like this behavior is very abusive. You know, you like, you shouldn't, I don't know. It, it, or also if someone is just acting the way that, I don't know, it's, it's such a strange thing to try to evaluate because you can, you can see, discern and judge without, like you said, being cruel, without um, making someone feel terrible. But you can also just identify what certain behaviors are or, um, or, or like you said, just call a spade a spade. That, that in and of itself is not bad. Like trying to demonize people for that, trying to make them feel terrible for who they are unless they're doing something actively destructive yeah. but even yeah but even even when we make that judgment it's kind of you know it's initially it's in our own mind and we need to hold it lightly because whenever someone does something yes they do it for reasons you can never imagine That's people are really weird everyone is really weird and yeah. strange yeah? yeah so you need to find out from their point of view and try and work with it from that point of view because if they feel yeah. that you're telling them who they are they will rightly not listen i won't listen if someone tells me who i am well oh, i might yeah. try to right listen you right. Know. yeah 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 you mm. don't have access to anyone's internal motivations you don't know what they they're no. thinking what what happened to them that is informing their behavior again as i mentioned like i've done a lot of work in terms of both both in, uh, academically and personally in terms of trauma and uncovering that and 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 seeing how that uh, expresses itself like you said people are weird and people do what they can to survive and a lot of the things that make sense in a survival uh, mindset do not make sense to outside observers so like you said, yeah. you can judge it, but withhold, like you said, hold it lightly because you really have no idea. And, and as 
one of the Toltec things is don't take anything personally. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's you know you might think they're getting at you. Yeah, actually they're doing it for this and that, and it's it's a a good practice. Now um now we're being very rational about all of this, but actually you've got Moon in Scorpio, so <laughs> sometimes so let's just get off the the rational Aquarian for a moment, um because sometimes you will see things directly about people that they may not be able to see themselves. You know the real reason they're doing what they're doing, and you can nudge them towards that. And you maybe haven't got all, all the reasons for it, but you just kind of know, yeah. I so should... let's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get in trouble for that sometimes because I will just yeah. call something plainly, and and that's another layer of it. Sometimes people aren't even being honest with themselves about why they're doing what they're doing. And so they don't really know, or they're not willing, they, they're not able to access that kind of true motivation. When you say it straight to their face, they are not generally happy with that. <laughs> so that gets me in trouble. Well, no. Well, yeah. Yeah, because I guess the, the, there's no law saying that people do have to be honest with themselves, isn't there? So you, you need to. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they're not obliged to be honest about themselves, are they? You know, not at yep. all. Not at all. <laughs> they invent the most amazing self-justifying stories. It's like fine, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Regularly, I'm like, well, there's I no guess law. I'm just saying, there's no law saying that anyone has to listen to you. That too. That too. Exactly. Exactly. And thankfully, yeah, that I, Aquarius yeah. lets me have peace with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and actually, it, it it might not be. Maybe they are listening. They just don't agree. <laughs> See, this is also a good point. I didn't even think of that aspect. So that'll help me in my yeah. Sophia <laughs> judgments in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe also, maybe sometimes people aren't listening, but they're not aware they're not listening. Because to really listen fully, You've got to be able to listen to yourself fully yeah, and to be honest with yourself. And not everyone wants to do that. In my experience, only a minority of people want to be really honest with themselves. Yeah. That's often when a relationship breaks up. It's when one person, something changes in them, and listen to themselves, and the other person thinks they've gone crazy and they become the bad guy. Yeah. Um, you know, a relationship is often an unconscious deal, almost a collusion. It's like... Mm -hmm. I'll be this and you be that and we'll each, it's a kind of let's pretend, you know, yes. um, and it serves a certain purpose, you know, and all the rest of it, but you can't be conscious within that. Yeah. yeah. So yes, listening to yourself, that's in a way we're back to the South again now. Yeah. That's in a way that listen to the natural world, listen to yourself and take other people in as well. Mm -hmm. If we can be aware in that, kind of way moment to moment it's a quality of our being it's a quality of our body as much as our mind we're listening on all levels mm -hmm. in a way that's all we need to do and yeah. act on what we hear and that's that is the balanced place that the medicine world is trying to bring us to yeah. we're able to listen to the voice of the east which is inspiration we're able to listen to the voice of our feelings which is the um the south we're able to listen to the call to incarnate, to do things. 
and we're able to listen to the north which is the ability to stand back and go hang on a minute let's really look at both sides let's look at all sides yeah and that's the point of balance and life is a process it's a continually coming into balance it's because as 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 our life progresses we change and we need to keep finding new balances and the medicine wheel shows us how to keep in balance life isn't a path from an indigenous point of view it's a circle mm -hmm. and all we're doing is trying to keep we're not going anywhere we're just trying to keep finding that balance that we live in balance with ourselves with the people around us and with the natural world that's all we're here to do that isn't a an easy thing it's a very demanding thing it can require courage it can require a deep honesty with ourselves mm -hmm. so it's it's a big one yeah. it's not you know balance can sound a bit like milk and water yeah right. but actually yeah. it's more like two opposites coming together in dynamic fusion that creates diamonds it's got that sort of high voltage to it yeah it doesn't happen on the surface that balance and that's the center of the wheel um it's the middle way in buddhism if you like yeah um this dynamic fusion so so that's what we're here to do and it's it's a demanding thing but yes. would we want it any other way i think we need something difficult in our lives mm -hmm. that we want to do but we maybe feel is beyond beyond us but we're still going to give it a go i mean halfway through writing my book on astrology last year a wolf turned up and told me to write a fantasy novel about the way i do my shamanic <laughs> work which is this embodiment i can't yeah. write a novel I've written two, the first two volumes now, The Stolen Queen and Lucifer Unbound. It's about shapeshifting a rational society which demonises people who can shapeshift. It demonises the non-rational. Yes. And it's it's about getting God and Lucifer to shake hands. It's an age-old cultural mythological battle that we yeah. have in modern culture. That's what I'm addressing. Amazing. Um, yeah. You see, Philip Paul, he sets rationality against God. And I'm going, no, you can't. That's just one tyranny versus another. You need God and Lucifer to shake hands. And that's what I'm aiming to do. So yes. why did I say that? Um, Because of the wolf. Why did I say that? I can't remember why I said it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all good. I was happy to hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know why I said it. I know yeah. why I said it. It was giving myself something to do that I thought I couldn't do. Yes. writing a novel i thought i can write articles i can't write novels but it's forced me to and actually i've got a storyteller in me it's been bloody yeah. difficult i've been through so much self-doubt here am i 64 going through as much self-doubt as i've ever been and being yeah. pushed as hard as i've ever been yeah. and feeling this deep renewal in me let me yeah. tell you something when you get older we have a cultural brainwashing that tells us we go gently downhill and we can't do so much right. my experience since hitting my 60s is of actually more being asked of me of a deeper renewal yes than ever because i'm more life has taught me to be more open than ever mm -hmm. so it can go in the opposite direction life can become more abundant as you get older yes. rather than less abundant mm -hmm. and that will that will feed through into your physical health as well i think it'll yes. keep you healthy and it'll keep you living long yes and it'll keep you looking forward to the <laughs> next thing of course yes yeah, yeah. I, so, so many people are just they, they just hit a certain age and they think that they're done. It's like, well, if you decide that yeah. you're done, then yeah, I guess you are. But is that the thing that you really want to decide? Maybe there's more. There, maybe there's more to explore. 
yeah. Well, I can be ambivalent, you see, because I, you mm. know, there's a part of me, you know, that still experiences life as well. And I think it always will, because yeah. it's almost like the place that I learn from, the place that I grow from. There'll always be this troubling shadow element in me. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm not sure I really want to be around anymore. I've had enough. Yeah. And then this other side that goes, I can't wait for this next new big thing. I have these two different things going on. I mean, I, I make damn well sure that it's the bit that wants to renew life that keeps going. Yes. But I think we also do, you know, we do have this side of us that troubles us as yes. well. Yeah. But that's okay. It's almost like we need it. Mm -hmm. And we need to be sympathetic to it. Yes. We need to love it. We need to hold its hand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Again, if you fight it, then it has more control over you than if you engage with yeah. it and and see it honestly and and listen to what it has to tell you and it brings us back to that spirit that's almost out there in the universe that's come to visit us yeah that troubles us and yes and we get to know it and yes. we make a few offerings and do a bit of ceremony we get to know this one and we get to love this one and what is it that you really need what is it that you really want you know right yes yeah yeah and just that, and it's not like we're being soft and overindulgent because to actually go to that place where we can be with that troubling side, mm -hmm. that requires a certain grit. Yes. That requires a certain resilience. That requires being, a, that requires showing up. Mm -hmm. Yes. That requires being alive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're actually truly alive when we, when we make friends with, with, with those troubling sides of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's not any, it's, that's why I call it the cold face. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Life is not this easy thing. It's thing that makes life that make life makes these deep demands on us. Mm -hmm. If we're true to that spirit within us. Yes. And, it, but it's something we can feel that we're, we're really alive. We're really living when we answer those kind of calls mm -hmm. I and mean, of course it's not it's not all difficulty but there will always be that element there yeah but that's okay absolutely. yes yeah yeah again if you're able to engage it and it, to not to not I, I think about this a lot in terms of like people who um have more of like a self-victimizing mindset like yeah there are struggles in life that everybody goes through trials, some people a lot worse than others, but we all have, we've all experienced a dark night of the soul. But are you going to let that define you? Or are you going to like learn the lesson from it and, and take something from it and, and build something with it? Again, it could be my just defiant nature, but I'm like, I will turn this into tools. Like any, any difficulty, I will turn this into tools yes. to make my life better. So yeah, I, again, yeah. I think it's that's it's that perspective on it. Um, again, very Buddhist yeah. kind of like I'm not going to hold on to this. It, like I hold it lightly. It's here, but it's not going to be the thing that I again define my whole identity around. Yeah, well, it's like you have a a strong drive in you to yeah. be true to that thing that matters. Mm -hmm that connects you to what most value you most value yeah. to that spirit within you yeah. um not everyone has that drive to that same extent you yeah. know and they maybe have a little bit and you think well maybe one day they'll be a bit more true to that you know <laughs> yeah i know 
I always hope. But again, zero expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's it's hard work having expectations of others and how they should be, inverted commas. Again, if you can learn to let go of that, it's it's a lot easier to just interact with human beings. It's like, okay, who who am I looking at? Who is here right now? What do they need? How what how can I be a part of this? As opposed to, I need you to be this way. You should be this way. That's it's such a limiting way of engaging with other human beings. Yeah. Yeah. If um, if people want to find you and your work. Um, where can they where can they find you online? Well, on Facebook, if you look up Barry Goddard Astrologer, you'll find me. But also I have two websites, two blogs, um, shamanicfreestate.blogspot.co.uk and astrotabletalk.blogspot.co.uk. So one's shamanic and the other's astrology. Um, so yeah, my Medicine World book is available on Amazon from September the 30th. And my astrology book, which you might want to talk to me about, say, in late November or something, comes yeah. out in mid-December. Fantastic. All right. Well, great. So if you just look up the Medicine Wheel, Barry Goddard, on Amazon, that's where people will find my, my book. Perfect. And I'm going to put links to everything in the description, both on um, Anchor yeah. and on YouTube, so people will be able to find you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very up for doing like individual astrology readings or just talking things over with people online okay. by Zoom. And I, I just work by donation. So whatever's affordable for people. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, perfect. Great. I'll, I'll link all that information. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to keep track of Barry Goddard, you can find him on Facebook at Barry Goddard Astrologer or follow his two blogs, Shamanic Free State and Astro Table Talk. I'm going to list all of those in the description. If you want to keep in touch with Personal Pans, I'm online on Twitter and on Instagram at Personal Pans. I also have a Mastodon instance, weirdo.network. I'm on there at Personal Pants Podcast, as well as Kali Butterfly. Thanks again for listening, and as always, I hope that you have a playful and curious day.